Hebrews chapter 10. Let's get our heads back in the text after, uh, after a week of clutter. Amen? Right? I mean, do you feel like that? Like, I don't know what happens between Sunday after church and, and, and the following Sunday, but it's like, wow, I wasted a lot of mental energy doing a lot of things that don't seem to have eternal significance. I need to, I need to be reset by the power of God's Word and His grace this morning. So let's, let's recap so we can really chew on this sermon well. You know, it oftentimes takes 10 minutes to kind of get into where you're, you're listening to a sermon. That's why pastors do these stupid throwaway illustrations. I'm going to trust you're already here. I'm going to trust you're listening. All right? So chapter 10. We see that this little church of Hebrew Christians, Jews who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one true Messiah, they're going through a tough time. And they're reading this letter, which is, which is really a sermon. It's an exposition. It's from someone they know, someone who loves them, and someone who is extremely concerned that they're drifting. And as we continually mention, mention, drifting has a destination. So he is battling for their souls, as it were. It's as if he's saying, Church, you have endured persecution from the world for what you believed and with whom you have identified. Because you imparted the word in your life, the world has stood against you. But don't stop believing. Don't give up the fight. Don't quit moving forward. In fact, draw near. Press on. Look at verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And what is that reward? Verse 36. That you may receive what is promised. What was promised? Verse 37. He who is coming, our Lord Jesus Christ, will come and will not delay. Stay the course. Persevere. Genuine faith perseveres. We will not face judgment, but instead we will receive eternal life. At the end of days, there are only two things which a person will hear. If their faith is genuine, they will hear, well done. Finish it with me good and faithful servant from those who have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ or even those who have had an intellectual assent but their faith is not genuine they may well hear depart from me I never knew you there is no middle ground the road is narrow and the difference between the two, look at verse 38. My righteous one shall live by faith. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering and the preserving, sorry, the pres preserving of the soul. The difference is living by faith. And so we've been using this phrase, genuine faith is a, a working faith. A working faith. When Habakkuk uses that phrase, living by faith, means it's a daily faith that works itself out. 
that does that which pleases God above all else. And that genuine faith evidences itself in perseverance. And so to kind of recap verses 1 through 6, we've been taking this same exact template, this outline, and we've been using it each week. We talked about how if faith in Jesus Christ were illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you of the charge of being a Christian? And so imagine you were brought into court. You've been charged with being a Christian. What is the evidence of that charge, that evidence of having faith? That was our point one. Number two, what is the divine witness of that evidence? And we talked about how God Almighty testifies as to the veracity of our faith. And then finally, our understanding or example of that evidence. And the first week, he says to his congregation, you, you know this to be true. Look at creation. You say you believe in the Old Covenant. Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 1. And then last week, we saw the example. The example of Abel, who spoke to us from the dead. Don't quit. Give God your best. With great joy, sacrifice. This week, we have another example. Enoch. Enoch. Who is this Enoch? Well, we'll find out. Ultimately, what the preacher wants to do in this first section is drive home the principle we see in verse 6 of chapter 11. Look at it with me. And without faith... It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that, circle, he is, and that he is a rewarder. Circle, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Everything is building towards that concept by understanding and by example. So let's dive right in and, and look at Enoch. Kids, have you studied Enoch? in Sunday school? Say yes, so that I know I'm doing my job, right? Okay, good. So there's a good chance they know more about this sermon than most of us, right? And if you do have a familiarity with Enoch, it's, well, he walked with God. And that's kind of the phrase we know. And he was not. He didn't die, he walked with God. But can I just tell you, there is a lot here. And there's a lot here that is brought about by the understanding of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. And then in a minute, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 4. Let me make one observation, if I might, that will help us in understanding where the author of Hebrews is taking us. We see this clear pattern. We see that phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Abel, Enoch. Uh, Noah, a Abraham, so on and so forth. Genuine faith, think about that phrase, by faith, produces evidence. What did we see last week? Abel, by faith, offered a better sacrifice. He obtained testimony from God and was rewarded. Let me say that again. By faith, Abel had genuine faith, Cain did not. How do we know? The evidence of that genuine faith is he offered 
the best of the best, the fattest of the fattest. And he brought extra fat portions. And in offering the very better, better sacrifice, he obtained testimony from God, and he received a reward. He was declared righteous, right? Watch what we see this week. By faith, Enoch offered his life as a sacrifice. He walked with God. He also obtained witness from God. And the reward, it was pleasing to God. Now think about how that is going to play with this Hebrew church in the first century. Better yet, think about how that is going to play with us and our understanding of faith. Faith then is much more than that thing we had when we understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and rose three days later. It's a very important part of it. That is genuine faith, okay? But genuine faith also is a working faith. And the same faith that he gives at justification is the same faith that will persevere us throughout sanctification until one day we receive what? Glorification. You're tracking, okay? Therefore, we need to look at this pattern in our lives. By faith, Joe Metro worked out his faith this way. God testifies that faith is genuine, and one day he will be, she will be rewarded. We're not rewarded for our good works. We're rewarded for persevering to the end by the faith that he gave us. So this is the same pattern over and over again. And the principle is this, verse 6. Without working faith, there is no evidence. Therefore, there is no testimony as to its veracity, and there is no reward. This is being lost in our Bible churches, our Baptist churches, our Presbyterian churches. It was lost decades ago in our Methodist churches, just to be frank. This concept of perseverance of the saints, this is not some sort of later-day Calvinism or something that just came out of the Puritan movement. This is biblical. Genuine faith perseveres, i.e. Book of James, and so many more. Don't stop believing. Don't quit. Draw near. Stay the course. Perseverance is worth, watch this, the reward, the commendation, not the condemnation. So let's look at where we're going with Enoch today. We're going to see the evidence of Enoch's faith. We're going to see the divine witness of that evidence. Again, same outline. And then thirdly, we're going to understand that evidence. Turn back with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. And we want to seek to understand in context what this means. He was not found because God took him up. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at the evidence of Enoch's faith. Now let me bring us up to speed here because we're just jumping in. We're parachuting into certain portions of Genesis after Abel's murder, we see the rise of civilization. And in chapter 4, at the end, we see advances in industry, advances in technology, 
advances in the arts, but with these advances, we also see a decline in morality. God, the creator of the universe, becomes old school. He's passe. Oh, they hold on to the traditions. They still name their children with some portion of maybe God's name or, or something that has to do with God, but, but it's lost its significance. We see generation after generation spiraling downward. We see the introduction of bigamy and brutality. And hope in the promise of Genesis chapter 3 seems to be fleeting. It seems to be lost. And you're meant to feel this, this urgency that if, if, if something doesn't turn around, humanity is lost. That is, until we get to verse 25 of chapter 4. Look at it with me. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. Hope is revived. There's music in the background now. God has not forgotten His promise. Literally, she gave Him another seed. And you can hear the audience just sigh. God's grace is greater still. Evil is bad. Things are getting worse. But God is not asleep at the wheel. Verse 26, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Literally, they began to proclaim His name. And we start to realize that these men of Seth, these men of Seth are good men. They're in the world, but not of the world. And in chapter 5, we start to see a godly line of Seth. A godly line of Seth that is put up parallel to the ungodly line of Cain. And you're meant to see the difference. The godly line of Seth calls upon the name of the Lord. The ungodly line of Cain worships the creation rather than the Creator, trusts in self and we're going to see some very interesting things highlighted. But what you're supposed to notice is that in a world of increasing evil, God is preserving a remnant for His own glory. Now right there, think about that. Hebrew church, first century. In the midst of increasing evil, God is preserving a remnant for His glory. In the midst of difficult times, God has a plan. God will not allow evil to win. Evil will be judged. But in the meantime, He will preserve a remnant. Good men. Men who walk with God. Men like Enoch. Men who walk the ancient path of Seth. Not the highway of Cain. So let's look at this Seth and his godly line. Chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. That word generations is, is the Hebrew toledot. And toledot is, um, is how the whole book of Genesis is divided up into ten toledots. And it reads like, here is what happened to the descendants of so-and-so, the descendants of creation. 
this week. Here's what happens to the descendants of Adam through the line of Seth. And then we're going to see, here's what happens to the descendants through Noah. It's how it's divided up. But there's a couple of interesting things in this genealogy. We see some long age spans. If, if you're looking at it, you can see men lived a long time. But there's something that is absent. We don't see those long age spans with the line of Cain. There seems to be a reason for that. It's as if a different path is being presented here. In fact, in, in Cain's line, we see that phrase over and over again, and he died. It's one word in the Hebrew. Dot, 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 descendant of Cain, dead. Dot, 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 dead. Dot, 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 dead. In the line of Seth, we see long lives. Now watch as we see a break in the pattern of these long lives with a fellow named Enoch. Verse 18, Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. And then we're going to see Enoch only live another 300 years, which was dying as a young buck back then. Methuselah. Now, we, we probably recognize that name, Methuselah. It's made up of the Hebrew word death, and, and it seems to mean when he dies, judgment. When he dies, judgment. It's almost as if Enoch is given a prophetic foresight here in naming his child. And something happens right around the time Methuselah is born to Enoch. Look at verse 22. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. It's the same phrase used to describe Noah, righteous Noah, in the next chapter. And Enoch, the person, is expounded upon in the New Testament book of Jude. Remember, Jude is standing against false teachers. False teachers who said, you don't need to worry about judgment. Live like however you want. There is no coming judgment. And then in Jude 14, you don't need to turn there, it talks about Enoch. Jude says, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones, to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. I think he's making a point. And all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The picture is this. Enoch, 75 years old, apparently has his first son, Methuselah. So there's hope for me at 53, okay? I'm just saying he has his first son, Methuselah. He has enough prophetic insight given to him by God that when he dies, there will be judgment. I think Enoch gets converted at the birth of his first son. If not, he certainly starts to walk with God. And he walks with God 300 years. And Jude says he's not just walking with God like he has really good devotions every day you know, and, and studies his Bible and writes in the margins. No, no, no. He's prophesying. He's preaching. 
In an increasingly ungodly world, he is proclaiming God as creator, sovereign above all, and we were created to worship. And he's saying it like this. You guys are not living like you're supposed to live. You're not bowing the knee to the creator. God will not be mocked. Judgment is coming. Now, I don't know what Enoch's profession was, but we have to think of this in real life terms. I mean, maybe he was a rancher. Maybe he lived in a town of, I don't know, 500 or 1,000. But he became known as the local prophet, the local preacher. And he's talking about this stuff to whoever would listen at the bagel shop in the morning when he got his coffee. Or at lunch, at the feed store. Hey, have I told you about God Almighty? Or on the weekends at the stock show. And people start to tune him out. He becomes the village idiot. And he has a failed ministry by all standards, worldly. He can't write about any of his converts or his Bible studies in his monthly ministry letter. And yet, he does this for how long? 300 years. Man, I remember going through some tough times in ministry for like three years at a pop, and I'm like, I gotta quit. I'm going back to business. This is tough. But I at least had a congregation, and people were, were at least listening, and I at least got to preach, and I was discipling men. Enoch doesn't seem to have any of that, and yet he is faithful. Now you think about the Hebrews being reminded of Enoch. They know Enoch. They know Enoch better than any of us Gentile Christians. They know exactly who he is, and they start to make the connection that in the midst of an unbelieving and hostile world, this man is faithful. And God is preserving a remnant. You know, when the Nazi party came to power in 1933, to the shame of the Lutheran church, they fell in lockstep with the Third Reich. And yet there was a remnant. There was a remnant of confessing pastors that became part of the confessing church. They stood upon the confessions of Scripture and they said, we will not either go the way of the world or be controlled by it. We will stand firm. One of those men was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he stayed the course and he preached faithfully and they shut down his church and they shut down his illegal seminary that he started and he pressed on. He finally was able to do no public speaking. God used this trial though. This Ministry failure by all worldly standards was used by God. And it opened up the door for him to start to save Jews and get them to Switzerland. For him to become part of a counter-military intelligence position, uh, organization where he was arrested in a plot to try to kill Hitler. You may know the story 
He was executed by hanging at dawn, April 9th, 1945. Three weeks before the city was liberated. And yet, he was faithful. His faith worked. God testifies to that evidence, and he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. In the wake of overwhelming evil, not only was a remnant preserved, but we also know how it turned out. Judgment came. Enoch's prophecy here is amazing for that reason, in that he was faithful in the midst of overwhelming odds against a world that was hostile to him. And yet it was also amazing for another reason, this prophecy. You know, we always say, well, this, this God's judgment doesn't seem fair. Or I don't like to talk about God's judgment because it just seems so uncomfortable. And yet, can we say that 300 years is a long-suffering God? Methuselah was born. Enoch prophesies God's judgment is coming. Repent, repent. And God waits another 300 years. And that's not a third of it. How long did Methuselah live? Look down there. Verse 27. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years. You see, it wasn't when Enoch dies, judgment comes. It's when baby Methuselah dies, judgment comes. And Methuselah lives 969 years, the longest recorded life in the Bible, and the long-suffering and patience of God's judgment put on display. And he dies, by all our calculations, the year of the worldwide flood. You're meant to realize how great and kind and patient our God is. And if you're a church undergoing suffering and persecution, you're also meant to realize God's judgment will come. Imagine it this way. Let's say that God had prophesied judgment, as He has, but let's say the flood hadn't come. And in 2021, He's going to flood the world. And we start to look back at the prophecy do you know when the prophecy would have been made showing God's long-suffering? 1052. 43 years before the First Crusade. It would be like Methuselah being born in 1052. And yet God was long-suffering. It didn't come in 1053 or 1100. And Methuselah turns 100 years old and we see the Inquisition and the torture of heretics. And he turns 163, and we see the Magna Carta signed. And he turns 460, and we see Michelangelo complete the Sistine Chapel. Judgment still doesn't come. Methuselah turns 568, and the pilgrims land at Plymouth Rock. 200 more years go by, and he sees the signing of the Declaration of Independence. 
He turns 851 on the day the Wright brothers made their first flight and 917 with the landing of the moon, landing on the moon. Don't tell me God isn't patient. And this Hebrew church is meant to take both of those to heart. By faith, God will reward. By faith, Enoch walked with God, proclaimed God's name in the midst of an unbelieving world, and he did it for 300 years. And we're complaining about three years. And not only that, but God's judgment is sure, but he is long-suffering. He is patient. And we don't have to go through that judgment. Over and over again, we see in the book of Hebrews, don't forget, Christ is an anchor for your soul. You will not incur judgment. Wow, I wish I could have this perspective in going through tough times. I had a tough week and I had just this little thing and it was just gnawing at me. And it seemed unfair. And yet my ministry in no way compares to Enoch's ministry. And I will not incur judgment. Praise the Lord that he was so long-suffering that he didn't bring judgment before all of us were born. This Hebrew church has forgotten these things. Look at our second point. Look at the divine evidence. Verse 23. So what happened to evangelist Enoch? So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that he would not see death. So what happened there? Well, he was not, for God took him. We see this one other time in Scripture. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. And as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father! the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw Elijah no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Enoch was translated. He was caught up. He was raptured, as it were, taken by God. Now, we read that as an objective truth, and we believe Scripture, and we kind of we, we get it. But I think we miss the point if we miss the walking with God. I remember growing up and hearing this, and he walked with God, kind of like just kind of walked into the air to heaven with God. <laughs> I think we're missing it there. Yes, he was taken by God, and he did not see death, but for 300 years... He walked with God. Do we walk with God? No, 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 I mean, do we really walk with God? And I have to push back from my desk and say, maybe I don't understand what it means to walk with God. Maybe I'm not asking the right questions. What is it about Enoch 
that is really walking with God because I want that kind of walking. Look at our understanding of what it means to walk with God in our third point. Turn back, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's look at verse 6, because I think verse 6 is the key to understanding how we, how we as a church can walk with God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, remember we circled that, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. To, to walk with God, which is the same thing as saying to please God, and we all want to please God, right? Because it is a working faith that is rewarded. Well, there are two aspects of that. We must believe that He is. I'll explain that in a minute, but He is. And that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Let's take that first one. Pleasing God, walking with God in any situation, especially when you're between the hammer and the anvil, when you're in the press, is to believe that He is. Now, what did this mean to the original first century Hebrew Christians who knew their Old Testament? What did it mean to believe that He is? Well, let's just make some observations. Well, He is the book of Genesis written by Moses in the 15th century to ex-slaves who were called out into the wilderness. Remember Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go in order that they may, what? Worship me in the wilderness. The book of Genesis is explaining who is this God that we're worshiping? Who is this God that we are to bow the knee to, to sacrifice to? And in Genesis 1, we see that He is the Creator God. The God that speaks the worlds into existence. Ex nihilo, who does it out of nothing. He creates by fiat rapidly and he crafts. I'm going to show us a video here in just a moment to explain to us that the first aspect of walking with God is to correct our perspective. Our perspective of who he is is and how big the universe is and when you say you must believe that he is that hebrew church thought of in the beginning god the first readers to read about he is this hebrew church knew exactly who the original readers were in genesis there were two million Israelites just like them looking up at the night sky and seeing the Milky Way and being amazed at how small they were and how big in the beginning God. And they believed that as tough as things were, or they were supposed to believe, they had a lot of doubts, that the creator of the universe is in control of all things. He is not only the creator, he is our sustainer, and he is good. Now you think about that. They're looking up at the night sky without any pollution, and they're seeing the Milky Way. 
And like all of us, we thought until about 1924 or 25 when Edwin Hubble started to research other stars that our galaxy was pretty much it. Oh, there may be one or two or three or four out there. But he started to realize, it's like, no, there are more galaxies than ours. Many more. And it wasn't until 1995 that we actually put the Hubble Space Telescope into space and started to take pictures of the deep field and realized that there were hundreds of other galaxies. And then just a few years later, they start to do more readings and more instrumentation, and they realize there are not hundreds of galaxies. There are not thousands of galaxies with 100 billion stars in each of them, like our sun. But there are 120 billion galaxies. By the way, this video is just a few years old. Since then, they've done more study. And they realize that 90% of the galaxies are so faint, they haven't even been able to count them. The new data and further observation tells us that the number is 10 times that. That the number of other galaxies, each with 100 billion stars, numbers into the trillions. Now, when we shrink our personal universe to the size of our personal problems, we dishonor God because we quit believing that He is. Let me point out one more thing. These are Jewish Christians who want to go back to the Old Covenant. And they either want to minimize or they want to quit worshiping Jesus Christ. They want to go back to what they know is comfortable and they love the Old Testament. I think when this preacher is saying, you need to trust that he is, he's reminding them of I am. And if you remember in Hebrews chapter 1, he has already said that in the beginning, God, who spoke the world into existence, it was actually Jesus Christ. You think about it, when Job's faith faltered, how did God rebuke him? Yeah, I know, things are tough. Is that what he said? He said in Job 38, Now gird up your loins like a man. By the way, we didn't talk about our studies together from equipping hour. And I will ask you, and you will instruct me, God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Tell me, who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy? A working faith walks with God, believing that Christ is the Creator. And no matter what you're going through, He is not only the sustainer of you and your challenges, but He is the sustainer of the entire universe, all trillions of galaxies. And yet He is also personal enough to be your Redeemer. Secondly, a working faith remembers that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. 
And that's what Enoch did. Enoch sought God. He didn't know about a Hubble Space Telescope. He didn't know about galaxies. But he knew that God was the creator. And he knew that God promised to be the redeemer. And so every day he walked with God. In his world, maligned, persecuted, he still preached the word. He still proclaimed God. He still called people to believe. He still warned them of judgment. With no thought of his own reputation, he walked with God. And he wasn't some glutton for punishment, some sort of just, you know, I want to be a martyr. I think he was an early King David. I think he just had desperate dependence upon God. You know, like King David, prior to being king, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will I win? God, is this the right thing to do? He trusted in his sovereign goodness. And yet he also enjoyed the journey. David danced and worshiped. Someday we're going to meet Enoch. He's going to be a fun guy. You do not stay in ministry 300 years without enjoying the journey, right? This guy loved what he did. And he paced his stride with God. He knew that anything that came his way, however difficult, had first passed before the Creator's throne before it came his way. And that God created it for his good and was bringing about his glory. I can think of no better passage for walking with God than what we studied in the Wokeness in the Gospel Conference. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Walk with God on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want to leave us with three words of practical application. How to be like Enoch. How to walk like Enoch. Number one, perspective. we got to have perspective. Anytime you feel your cave getting dark, the world closing in, we as a church becoming smaller, maligned, mocked, more difficult, whatever it is, remember God is sovereign. He is in control of all. He is the Creator King. Number two, write down the word perseverance. We've got to realize that not only is God sovereign, but God is good. He has divinely ordained each thing you're going through. He is not the author of evil, but He allows evil. And it strengthens our faith. Finally, let me add one more P. Passion. Don't forget that for all the difficulty that Enoch went through, and so many others in the Hall of Faith, they really lived. I mean, they, Christians, do you realize that? Christians really live. Their life is marked by delight, not drudgery, regardless of their circumstances. It's marked by passion, not pessimism. Christians enjoy the walk because they walk with God. And so as we head into a horizon that seems like it has some dark clouds on it, 
I want those two things to come together. That perspective, remembering who He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. He is sovereign and He is good. And as a result, we have commendation that awaits us. We have eternal life that awaits us. Let's enjoy the journey. Let's enjoy that we, watch this, we get to live in this time. We get to live in this challenging time. Enoch got to live in this challenging time. Would Enoch have traded a life of ease rather than walking with God? Never. God is using this to shape our faith. And yet we, like the Hebrew church, we have not endured anything yet. If it's coming, it's coming. But we're not in it now. Therefore, we are not allowed to worry about things now. We are not allowed to complain about things now. We are to rejoice and walk like Enoch with God. 